Libby Writes with Brian Scott Libby. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Sunday evening? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Rights Podcast. Got a terrific guest for you today. It is Corn Ferry Tour player, longtime buddy of mine, Wilson Fur. Wilson currently sits 41st in the Corn Ferry Tour season-long point standings with the top 30 getting PGA Tour cards and realizing a lifelong dream at the end of the season. They got about seven or eight weeks left in the season. Wilson talked about his journey to get to this point. He spent some time inside the top 30, but uh, also just a couple short months ago had a bizarre rules infraction in his last guaranteed start that caused him to miss the cut by one. And he thought at the time ended his season and potentially uh, altered the trajectory of his career. We talked about what he did after he got in the next week and now how he became to where he is today, sitting on the cusp of earning a PGA Tour card. So great conversation that gives you a really up close and personal look at the grind at the lower levels of professional golf and just how close the margins can be sometimes. And uh, Wilson's mindset over the last six, seven weeks of the season and, uh, you know, what could unfold for him. So really appreciate his time. Been wanting to do this for a long time. I think you'll enjoy it. Before we get to that, though, I wanted to remind you that this podcast has a new sponsor. We are proud to welcome Seaspire. As a presenting sponsor of the Rippy Rights Podcast, the way businesses collaborate is changing. Seaspire Voice with WebEx gives your organization the tools to stay ahead. Call, meet, and message on any device, anywhere from one secure cloud-based platform. The past few years have shown us just how vital remote work is for businesses of all sizes, but you also want to protect your organization from cyber threats. That's why Seaspire Voice with WebEx has enterprise-grade security built from the ground up, so you can enhance how your teams work together in and out of the office all with reliability, availability, and scalability that traditional business phone systems just can't offer. Learn more about Seaspire Voice and WebEx can do for your organization at cspire.com slash business. That is, again, cspire.com slash business, cspire, customer-inspired. Also, check out their home and business internet. I have cspire home and business internet. It is awesome. You can't afford to have unreliable internet in 2023. I use it for the podcast. I can't have it going in and out. They have terrific home and business internet. Check that out today at cspire.com. Cspire customer inspired. Podcast is also brought to you by Rent the Sip Oxford. That's right. Rent the Sip Oxford. Are you looking for a place to stay on a football game weekend? Maybe you're just passing through for the night or an off weekend. Maybe you're trying to find a place for orientation, move-in week. I have got the place for you. Rent the Sip Oxford's Turnberry unit sleeps eight comfortably. It is gated. It has amenities such as a pool, tennis courts, and a sauna. It will sleep eight comfortably. Just go to rentthesipoxford.com today to check availabilities. Turnberry is located less than a mile from the Ole Miss campus. It is basically a straight shot to Swayze Field, almost a straight shot to Vaught-Hemingway Stadium, just a bit further beyond those two points to get to the Grove. It is terrific location at an affordable price. You need to go there today and check out their availabilities. It can be hard to find a place, particularly on big weekends, to stay in Oxford. If you're tired of dealing with jacked-up hotel rates, not looking to go the Airbnb route or something you can't rely on, you can rely on Rent the Sip Oxford. It's run and managed by Bracken Ray, longtime friend of... Boy, well, me and the show, our basketball correspondent, he's not going to steer you the wrong way. It is a great opportunity. And if you go online to rentthesipoxford.com and book today, if you use the promo code Rippy Rights, that's R-I-P-P-E-E, Rights, W-R-I-T-E-S, you get 100 bucks off any two-night minimum stay. 
Go ahead and check availabilities now. He's still got availabilities for the Mercer, ULM, and Vandy football weekends. Go ahead and hop on that now. It's going to book up fast as well as move in and bid day. If you have any questions about availability, just shoot him an email at Bracken, B-R-A-C-K-E-N, rentthesipoxford.com. He will answer any and all questions, and you can book through there as well. He wouldn't steer you the wrong way. Trust me, take advantage of this awesome deal. Check him out, rentthesipoxford.com. All right, here is Wilson Fur on his journey in professional golf. All right, we now welcome on old pal of mine, Corn Ferry Tour player Wilson Fur. I've been wanting to do this for a while. I was going to wait until you made the PGA Tour maybe reel off a couple wins here in the next couple weeks, but you had a couple weeks off. I was like, you know what? Let's just, let's just do this now. I appreciate you spending some time with me on the podcast. How are we doing? You're uh be freshened up after six weeks in a row on the road. We were just talking about how you took the week off last week. The corn Ferry tour has a week off this week. So you gotta be, when you go back next week, I imagine that has to make a huge difference. Yeah, for sure. I mean, just having the two with full weeks off is just so nice. I've gotten to play a little bit of fun golf, you know, take some good days off if I want them, go float in the river, you know, do some fun stuff and then, you know, and get back to the business kind of in the last couple of days, like the last, you know, five days or so. But yeah, I'm excited, you know, going into Denver. I mean, game's feeling great. So I'm, you know, I've been taking it easy and just making sure I'm staying on top of my stuff and, you know, getting ready to go. And has that been like when you have a week off like that, you mentioned you got to go back home, play a course with your buddies and kind of just relax for a couple of weeks. Is that something that you've realized like that you need, particularly when you take a week off? Because you're in your you know early to mid 20s. Your job is certainly different than, say, just my job, like a desk job or something yeah. like that, where like it's now or never to kind of shape your future in some ways. And you just mentioned playing six weeks in a row. I imagine you don't really have a lot of time to think about like you know, work-life balance, things outside of golf, being a young 20-year-old. And so I imagine when you get those couple of weeks off, it's kind of a nice reset of just like, okay, like I'm allowed to enjoy myself for a couple of weeks for getting back to yeah. what is, I think the hardest, one of the hardest grinds in pro sports. <laughs> it's it's definitely a grind, but I mean, it's a fun one. And that kind of comes back to answer your question is like, the more I've played, I guess, the better, like as I've gotten better, one of the things that I realized is I play my best golf when I'm having fun. And if I don't play fun golf, I don't have fun playing or I don't realize I forget about the fun things about golf. So now I feel like being in Birmingham has been great. I love money games. You know, I always have, like, I just go and play in like, but I'm playing with great players and it's fun. You know, it's not, it's a grind, but it's not the same grind. You know, it's not out there on the range beating balls. It's just like competing and like having fun. And then, you know, yesterday out there with my buddies, like still trying to play as good as I can. Like Lake Carolina was kind of, getting to me a little bit you know the greens were kind of slow I wasn't quite getting the ball of the hole like you know I was out there having fun but like you're still trying but it's a nice little balance of you know more you're out there to hang out with your friends and you know have a good time among the many reasons I wanted to get you on I think this in a weird way is like a perfect time is your path this year you got on the corn Ferry tour you made it through Q school you got eight guaranteed starts to start the year your path even in just the last seven to eight weeks has been kind of insane. I think that may be putting it mildly in its own right. And we'll get to all of that in a second, but like you're kind of going back to just like, you're in such a like week to week mode of like knowing you need to play well, trying to have fun with it along the way. Like, is it hard to not think or think at all? Like whichever way you want to go with this, think about the big picture. Cause again, in another seven to eight weeks, I think y'all got what you mentioned, like seven, eight more, whatever it is through the end of August to September, like your life could potentially change dramatically once again. Is it, what is that like kind of living in that whirlwind week to week? 
Yeah, I mean, I've I've had I've asked a lot of people a lot of questions about it because it certainly was the thing that everybody talks about pro golf, especially is it you know it accumulates, you know, it builds up on you. Um, for me, I mean, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it. I guess for me, the way I view it is I try to always just think about it as simply as possible. <laughs> that always helps me. It's just like as simply as possible, and it's like. I'm just, if I get better at golf and I've said this before on a couple of interviews or whatever, but if I get better at golf, I've got better things coming my way. If I get worse at golf, I don't have many good things coming my way. Fair enough. And so if I just have to keep getting better at golf, you know, and that's what I feel like I've done a good job of over the last, since I've turned pro is really just like being a little more honest with myself, knowing what I really need to work on. You know, it's, Sometimes you're a little too close to the game to like know like the problems with it. You know, you're not doing certain things. So, I mean, like I said, it's just been more about viewing it as just golf instead of like, because I mean, I've certainly failed at this during this year, even of like week to week to week to week of being like, I've got to play well this week. Well, what does that mean? That means I'm going to throw out everything I've ever done my whole life and just go rogue this week and just figure it out. And it's like the times that I play well, I feel like I've stacked weeks of like doing stuff that I thought I was doing the right thing. And then it just, you know, golf just does golf, you know, it just seems to show up. So that's, I guess, the way I've looked at it instead of more trying to get into the nitty gritty of like day by day, week by week. Cause if you do that, I don't think you have a shot. And you mentioned that's interesting. You mentioned that piece of it too, because particularly with the position you're in now, I think that when I looked at it this morning, you're 41st in the standings. For those out there listening, the top 30 players on the Corn Ferry Tour get PGA Tour cards, and you're right there in the mix. And not some short time ago, you were not quite in the mix, to put it mildly. And you're right there on the cusp, but it's weird because in some ways, it's kind of like an hourglass. Like another event goes by and you're like, all right, there's yeah, you know, eight left or seven left. And it keeps going down. Like, do you ever think about that at all? Is it hard to not get frustrated? Say, you know, I think two weeks ago you missed a cut. We're like, damn, there's only 12 of these left or whatever the number yeah. is. Does it feel like time is running out on you? Or how do you kind of manage just remaining calm and patient? So I feel like, like what you talked about, about this year being kind of crazy. I feel like I've learned all these lessons in like a little microcosm of the year. Like, I kind of messed that up for the first eight weeks, but in the opposite way. Okay. Instead of them running out, I was thinking of just those eight. So I was thinking eight events and I was doing that. Like I was like, Oh shit, I got six more. I got to play well in one. And I counted your, whatever you want to call that. And it just, it builds and it builds and it builds and it builds and it builds. But I think at some point I realized like, you don't have to play that stupid game. Like you don't have to think that way. Like that is a way to think, but you don't have to think that way. And like I said, I learned it the hard way, but it, I think I, on the other side of this situation, I feel like I learned a lot from it. I kind of see the mental, because like, honestly, my game doesn't, I've been playing a lot better. It's been a little small couple things that have gotten a little bit better, but more of it is just psychological. I mean, psychological just changes. Like how you view, you know, what you're doing, I think is so important out there because it can get warped through time. You know, you see it, you know, it's fun and games and then you're on the road week four and it's like, was well, that how you think about the game right now? How are you seeing it? And so I've tried to just, like I said, stick to the big picture of like, how am I going to keep getting better at golf? And it just keeps bringing me to the same things, which helps me stay centered, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, it definitely does. And so we'll uh, we'll kind of go backwards or I say start at the beginning now that I asked you a couple of questions about what happened in the last couple of weeks is 
that's probably you learn a lot of lessons in your first year and a half in pro golf because you got out of school in Alabama. You graduated in 21, I believe, correct? Yeah. So you get out. Um, we can get into a second of your first uh, professional debut, which is just a wild ass story in its own right that I imagine a lot of listeners probably read that story that we did a couple years ago on that. But you, when you go through junior golf and particularly in your case, you had a ton of success at a very early age. I mean, hell, you'd won a couple of huge junior events and I'm still having to take you to the golf course because you're like three years away <laughs> from the driver's license. Success came very, very quickly to you at an early age. Obviously, you were one of the best players that you knew of. I know you were competing at the best against the best most every week, even in junior golf. You go to college. You were the best of the best, obviously, on campus because you went to a powerhouse program. You played. You had a huge impact on the team pretty much the entire time you were there. And then all of a sudden, you graduate. And it's like, all right, you're kind of nothing again. And I know they've taken, you got caught in that weird area where like before they kind of made these reforms with PJ Tour U and all that stuff where it's like, all right, now if you actually ball out as a college and amateur player, you I can actually had to get a pretty. Yeah, I actually you, had PGAU my year, my last year. You did? I didn't finish high enough in PGAU to get anything. I think I finished, I could be wrong on this, don't quote me people, but I think I was like, low 20s like late teens kind of area I didn't have the best you know senior and junior year like in college golf I actually right. played pretty well in the summers of those years um but those don't didn't count in the PGAU at that time I, I wouldn't have made that I wouldn't have gotten top five at that time right but and then that was the first year of it so like obviously you knew what the opportunity was but I feel like if that had been a thing for two to three years like you could have realized like okay in this last year and a half like this is this is life-changing yeah for sure and so you get out and then it's kind of like all right well I'm literally starting from scratch again and I think that's what makes golf so different from every other professional sport like you know Brandon Miller at Alabama or, or a top five draft pick in the NFL draft or something it's like, all right, we're going to kick you back down to gear zero again. It's just all like build up your whole career again. Golf pretty much does that. And you get out of school. I can't remember what exactly you did that 21 year, but basically you go through Corn Ferry Tour Canada's school. Yeah, I miss it second stage right out of the gate. Um, at Corn Ferry? Uh, yeah, right that first year I missed. I got through first stage. Uh, I was exempt through pre-qualifying, got through first stage, and missed it second stage in California. And then got through Canada Q school in March and went out to Canada. And so what I've, and I think we have a lot of uh, like, a, I would say people that listen to this and like the golf content aspect of what we do here, probably have a pretty decent understanding of what Canada tour Q school is, or excuse me, just what the Canadian tour is in general, but just to rehash, like just cause you got on the Canada tour, that's not like, all right, sweet. I'm financially secure. Like we'll just play this for a couple of years and things will be fine. That is a status driven tour. Um, I remember Hayden Buckley told me a story a couple years ago. Um, I did a story on him right after he won in Tampa that kind of changed his life at the last uh as the last yeah. man in the field. I actually wanted to do a podcast with him, but then he was like, I don't have a laptop. And I was like, Well, you just won 180k. Could you go buy one? <laughs> so he did like a written story and he was telling me a story in Canada where I think he finished at the time. I want to say, and I could have this a little bit wrong, but like top five, like you got corn fairy cards. He finished six, which like gave him some conditional status. But the main thing he was pumped about is like, all right, I got there. I improved my standing. I got conditional corn fairy tour status. And I think I was up like a hundred bucks or two. Like I didn't lose yeah, money in Canada. He was fired the hell up about that. Like, yeah. how does that, how do you view that from a player standpoint? Because you know, you're not going up there to make money. It's almost like amateur golf in a way. You're just going up there to improve where you stand to have a chance to make a little money. 
Yeah. So like, I know I keep harping on this, but that really is kind of where this developed of like how I started thinking about, you know, just like, because if you're up there to make money, you're, it's a fool's errand. I mean, you know, if people travel, you know, the expenses of it, like you're not up there to make money, you know, you're trying to get off that tour and you're trying to get to the next one. So yeah, it's got some benefits with final stage and whatnot, but really what you're trying to do is, is the corn Ferry tour. While it's not identical to that tour, a lot of things are. The Monday through Friday practice rounds, the four days of tournaments. You know, they got some grandstands up there. They got some crowds. And what you see, which is cool, and one thing I've learned in golf is those guys still shoot 25 under par. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, it's not like, the you know, Tiger Woods would have shot 40 under par there. You know, I mean, he might have shot 26. He would have found a way to beat somebody somehow. But he's not shooting 35 under par. So it's like you learn really fast, A, what high-level golf looks like, and B, if you're not doing it, you better figure it out. Or, you know, like you said, you know this isn't sustainable. And Corn Ferry might be, and then, you know, PGA is where you want to go. So you just have to – I think you have to develop like a – you've just got to get better at the game, and you just try to use each week as a time to get an experience and better at the game. And it probably teaches you how to be, I mean, look, you're, you can be as good at golf as anybody, but there's a certain level of adjustment to becoming a professional golfer in the lifestyle and figuring out how you manage yourself from a week to week basis where it's like, you know, if I miss the cut this week, what do I do to prepare for the next week? If I make the cut, like how do I kind of handle right. you know, playing six weeks in a row and stuff like that? I imagine there was a lot of learning at a very young age at that point. Hell, you're 22, 23 years old of trying to feel like, okay, like I have to be an adult about this now. There's no shot you'd ever been to all of those places that you went in Canada. You're traveling to places you've never been before. I imagine there's a certain lifestyle management that you're having to learn on the fly when you go to Canada. Absolutely. And that's kind of what I was talking about, getting better at golf. Like that is the 100% in that category of like, how do you, and like the way I describe it to people is like, how do you pick up your life, go to a town for one week, live comfortably, and then pick that same life up and move it to another town for a week? And it's just like everything for a week. And so you learn how to manage those weeks. And like you said, okay, if you miss a cut, well, what's your strategy on the weekend? Do you stay at the golf course and practice? Do you want to go to a different golf course and play? Do you want to fly to the next week early? There's a lot of different nuanced things. Okay, you got a two o'clock tee time. What do you do in the mornings? Have you like, have you ever teed off at two o'clock in the afternoon and had nothing to do all day? Like that's tricky. The only reason people yeah. tee off at two is they have shit to do all day. <laughs> like you had nothing to do all day. That tea time would be before 10. Right. Exactly. And I never even thought about You're it from that perspective. Like that. And I then mean, it's some of it comforting. I mean, we mentioned like the money aspect of it is like, so you were a very decorated amateur and college player. And so you signed with an agency when you got out of college, but not everyone has that luxury. Like the lower level guys that were not that decorated as an amateur or college player, like they don't have the agency to where like it's not a whole it's like the whole totality of that is not just like signing. So it's like, all right, they're gonna front me the money. It's not really that. There's a lot more complex things that go to that. But I guess to get to my point is like you knew you weren't up there to make money. You knew traveling to all these random ass Canadian towns. You're like, all right, like I'm probably, unless things work out incredible, gonna go a little bit in the hole here. I can't really have to think about that on a daily basis. But it's part of that like freeing where you're not like, all right, I made the cut and I made this much money this week. Where I feel like there's some of that on the corn ferry tour where in Canada, you're just like, this is what it is. I'm gonna pay for these flights. I'm gonna pay for the hotel rooms. We need to get the status. Yeah, it, it has to be the second. Yeah, I mean, it has to be. I mean, I got, like I said, I got fortunate enough to get just enough money to where I knew that for two and a half, three years, I could play golf for a living. And so that afforded me to be able to think of the mind, like I was saying, I've got to get as good at golf in these three years to guarantee, 
to, to hopefully ensure that I'm still playing golf, you know, after those three years, like that is, that is the goal. So yeah, a hundred percent. That was my first, I mean, that was my first sanctioned tour, you know, to play on. So that was my first year. So at that point I knew that I, even if I finished the first, I wasn't getting rich on that tour. Like that was not my mindset going up there. And yeah, it is kind of, I mean, it's, it's definitely not freeing, I would say. You know, you keep looking at a dwindling bank account, you know, like, <laughs> and you even a week where you play well, it's like, God, that didn't help as much, you know, but whatever. I mean, it's just, yeah, you're up there to get better at golf and you're there to get off that tour. And did you, uh, did you do the whole loonies and toonies money exchange? Just what was life like living in another country for a couple months, just rolling around? Like, what was it like just being a semi Canadian citizen for like two months? Well, I ate a lot of Tim Hortons, I gained like 20 pounds. <laughs> Because that place has got it figured out. Let me tell you that. As step one, it's that I love Tim Hortons. Can't speak highly enough about it. Um, so a lot of Tim Hortons on the road. That became like a staple of mine. Um, and I mean, some of the cities were awesome. Like, you know, they were unbelievable. Like Kelowna, British Columbia was like probably it's one a of the beautiful country. It's probably one of the prettiest places I've ever been. But then you go to different weeks and it's, you know, not so pretty. You know, you're in the middle of nowhere and you don't. I mean, you talk to them, you're like, what are winters like up here? They're like, oh, it gets about negative 40 or 50. You're like, oh, okay. And I was like, what's that in Fahrenheit? And they're like, oh, no, no, no. Fahrenheit and Celsius converge at negative 30. I was like, man, I really didn't have much of an awareness of that. I was, or it's like somewhere down there. Don't quote me. It's like somewhere in the 30s, I think, where they converge and they're the same thing. I was like, all right, guys, it's too cold is the answer. Like, it's way too cold. I feel like that's when the nerds are just like, it's cold. We don't have to keep measuring this. You probably shouldn't be outside in this weather. What was the craziest thing that happened to you while you were in Canada? Does anything stick out? Like, was there any kind of memory you had from that stretch at all? Well, it's funny. I think I made the same mistake twice, but I didn't know that I made it the first time. So it's actually funny. I I actually had a very similar, not quite similar, but pretty similar situation happen up in Canada to the, but not with the cart and all that BS, but like the first four weeks, I missed, or the, yeah, the first three weeks, I missed the cut. Didn't play great the first two, and then one week played pretty well and had like five three putts and, and missed the cut. And I was like, okay, I'm not playing that bad, but like how many more events do I have guaranteed? And I had two guaranteed because it's only a 10-event season. You're guaranteed five. You got to make a cut. That's all you got to do. We go to event four in Saskatoon, Canada, middle of nowhere, and the event gets rained out. That doesn't happen very much. Does that it count? Just, it counted for the events you were exempt for. So now I got oh, one. That's kind of crap. So I had one left and went to. I, so then the funny story about this, we're in Saskatoon, north of Saskatoon. And it was, we got a text that our flight got canceled. It ended up just being a false alarm somehow. I don't know why that should ever happen, but it was. But we looked to see how far the drive was. And it was 48 hours. And I was like, how is that even possible? Like 48 oh I go, I'm in the middle of Canada. I get it. But like, how far am I to my door? It can't be that much further. And it was 46 hours to my door in Birmingham. Holy we were, cow. Yeah, it was. A, and so I just remembered like, oh my, like panicking for the next week, like having to go across the world and I had to make the cut and I missed it. And I missed that cut. And I didn't get shuffled back in for three more events. And then I came back up at the back end of the season with no points and played pretty dang good golf for the last like three events. So, I mean, but like it's a little I, too late. Yeah, it just wasn't. Yeah, too little too late, 100%, especially in a 10 event season. 
And so it was, or a 10 or 11 event season. So it was like, it did portray, but like I said, I started counting. I did the same thing up there, but like I said, I, at, at the time I didn't see it. And then, like I said, I think I did a similar thing. And I feel like at this point I learned what I was doing. You know, I'd realized I was, you know, you're, you're playing like there's something <laughs> eight events away. That's going to stop you from playing well right now. It's like, Hey bud, let's just hit this shot. You know? Right. I think so many times I had this looming thing over my head that I put there, you know, of like this countdown that did it existed, but it didn't have to, you know, I could have just played golf. And it's one that every one of your competitors has too. It's just how well you manage it. Like, yeah, and that's the, that's the art of it is learning that. Cause anybody that tells you that it just doesn't exist at all. It's like, all right, this guy's full of shit. Like he definitely knows where he stands. It's just impossible. Well, I'm more saying like not feeding it to myself. Like, no, no, I know what you mean. Like how, how well are you to block it out and manage it? But like the idea that you never even like thought of it is like, all right, come on, man. You know, exactly. oh, no, I mean, it's a hundred. I mean, as I said, I screwed it up twice. I mean, I didn't even know I was screwing it up. I did it twice wrong. I mean, it's like, I didn't even consciously know I was doing it, but you know, you see it blow up in your face twice and you're like, Oh gosh, like I need to quit feeding that, you know, just like quit, just quit using that as a barometer. You know, that's not a barometer. Like let's use the golf game itself as the barometer. And so, you know, I'm sure it goes back to all the quotes, like focus on what you can control, but you know, that's pretty much what it is for me. What did you do in the three weeks when you didn't get reshuffled back in? Did you go home or did you just post up in Canada? Because I imagine you maybe didn't have a total idea of like how long you wouldn't reshuffle it out. What'd you do? I actually went and saw Prentice and Lollapalooza. <laughs> okay, that's a nice break. <laughs> yeah, so that was that was pretty cool. Um, and then, yeah, I think I just went home and got back to work. I knew, and like in the back of your head in, Q, like in Canada, you're like, I'm just getting ready for Q school now. Like I've already kind of, I'm not going to make much of this season unless I go win, which, you know, but if I'm going to win, I need to get my game ready for Q school. And I just kind of like flipped the switch, I guess, with like three or four events left that I was prepping for Q school. And when I'm prepping for Q school, I was thinking about my game. And it worked and you played well. And, and, and I played better on the last three weeks of the year. And then I played great at Q school. And I was like, all I was doing different was I was focused on the things that I needed to do to prepare for X instead of just, showing up and thinking some, you know, letting the tournament and the hoopla get to you instead of just doing what you would do without that. And for those out there listening, uh, we'll get to this at the end. Don't worry. I made a note of it. When you said you went and saw Prentice at Lollapalooza, that is your uh, kid musician brother who <laughs> is just, you are somehow you're a professional athlete. And by your own admission, the last time we spoke, you're the second most famous member of your family because yeah. Prentice has just blown up as a musician. Can he drive yet? How old are we? With he's Prentice? driving now. We're just now driving. Yeah. He's, he's just regular old adult. Yeah. Live it out in the world. Jackson. Yeah. He's loving life. And I imagine you can't, there are probably not a lot of other players that showed up at the next event or like, oh, I went and saw my brother at Lollapalooza and just got back yeah. here. You probably <laughs> wanted to con there. So you come back. Um, to the States and you go through the corn Ferry tour Q school, um, the fall this time. And obviously you make it through, you go to second stage, I believe at Kinderloo forest in, yep. uh, in Valdosta. I actually have a couple, couple of my buddies in college, a couple of them I live with are from Valdosta. And I was like, I got a guy down there. He's like, does he need strip club Rex? I'm like, no man, he's playing golf. Like, I, I don't think he needs any of that, but just like, if you happen to see him out there, he's like, I might go watch. And I was like, please do just go egg him on. Um, so you make it through the second stage, you get to the final stage. At that point, again, the whole thing, theme of all this and your path in professional golf, which is 
surprising. Like it's so wild to me. It's just like, you can't really have a moment to think or flinch or think you've made it until you actually have made it. When you go to final stage, what is your mindset? Because the mistake I think I made when I first started kind of following you guys that are out there trying to make it from Mississippi and professional golf is like, all right, final stage, he's probably good. It's like, actually, not everyone at final stage is considered equal at all. Kind of run us through what your mindset was. And then honestly, just take me through the thresholds. Like, what did you know you needed to do? What was your mindset at the final stage of kind of actually getting real status on a real tour that puts you on the cusp? I describe it as AAA baseball for the lack of Yeah, it's, it's, that's exactly what I use as the comp. I mean, it's, it makes total sense. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I had really good people in my ear, which has always been, you know, which has been great that were very, very on me. You know, they gave me a couple of days after second stage. And then after like three or four days, I got a call and was like, pretty much just told it to me straight. And that's what I've always told him is like, just tell me the full truth. Just tell me what I need to know. Yeah, don't lie to me. Yeah. Just like, let me know what I'm in for. And they're like, look, this tournament's going to be really hard. You know, just cycle. Like, it's going to be tough. And you, you are not safe. Like you, you right. got to get top 40. Like this stage is more important than the other stages. And I was like, why? You know, I couldn't wrap my head around that because, like I said, you know that you're like technically a member. And they even host you at some member ceremony before the week. It's like a that's misleading, like poison. Yeah. It's like you're telling me I'm a member. You're talking about all this crap. And then you're not even a member, technically. I mean, you're a member, but you're not, you're not guaranteed into events. Like you might be able to hit balls at the TPC, but like, now you can't even do that. And I know what you did on the last hole to make it on the number, but remind me again of what the threshold actually is. Like the guy that wins it, is he fully exempt or is it 12? Yeah, or there's a certain the top, amount that you get 12 or 8? The 12. So the winner is fully exempt for the year. The top 12 get 8. And then 13 to 40, I think, get um 8. Did I say that right? 12. Yeah, fully exempt 12, 8 to the 40. And then the top 12 get 12. Or okay. second to 12th, get 12. We'll get back to Wilson Fur in just a second. But before we do, I want to take a quick break to remind you. Podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked at the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Football season will be here before you know it. Go ahead and sign up for Skybox Sports Picks, college football, and NFL picks. All you have to do is go to skyboxsportspicks.com. You can try it for a day, a week, a month. You can go season-long, all sports, sports-centric. I'd recommend just get the year-long total access package. It's going to save you money in the long run. They're the only way to profit in the long run. Don't lose money this football season by thinking you can just go off your own lanes in your own brain. Skybox Sports Picks goes by the math. They are the professionals. They hit and make money consistently every single year. If you're into sports wagering, just do yourself a favor. Go to skyboxsportspicks.com. Go find a picks package. Use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E. -E. That'll get you 20% off. They'll email you the picks in a nice color-coded spreadsheet by unit, and boom, you're more equipped to profit than you were trying than you were you were before trying Skybox. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue. Go see Greg if you're a Rippy Wright subscriber. That's rippywrights.substack.com. You get free newsletter from me and discounted meats. Right now, it's three six-ounce bacon-wrapped fillets for 20 bucks. Just go in and show Greg proof of subscription, and boom, that'll get you covered. Go find all your own favorites once you get set up there. It's prime grilling season. The weather's great outside. Enjoy the summer. Throw something awesome on the grill. LB's is the best butcher shop in the world. Check them out, LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. 
All right, back to Wilson Ferb. And how many people are in this event? Because you got, you made 40, 30. And so you go through that whole week and you made a putt on the last hole to get top 40 and get eight, correct? Yeah. How acutely were you aware? I mean, I know they answered this, but how acutely aware were you when you stood over that putt? There was a leaderboard. There was a leaderboard behind the green. Yeah, it was pretty. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> how do you so but that's a fascinating moment in your whole path in this too is like it's not like it's one of these things where we keep talking about the hourglass and you play well at the next event you look at that leaderboard and then you probably got a handful of minutes or seconds to hold process the whole thing how does one do that when your livelihood is on the line yeah i mean i it's a pretty cool story for me at least because it's been something I've always been working on and I think I've gotten better at it and I'm still working on getting better at of learning from your mistakes. And it was a cool moment. So there was a 15th hole. I was right around the cut line or right around the, the nut 40. And I hit this unbelievable chip on this par five to like four feet for birdie. And I walked up and there was a grandstand behind, or sorry, a billboard behind the thing. And it said, I was in like T37 or something at the time. And if I birdied, I went to like T25. I was like, hell yeah. Like, I got four feet. Like, that's perfect. And I just like, all I was thinking about was that. I wasn't actually thinking about line the putter face up, you know, left. Or, you know, <laughs> I'm good rhythm. Like, the actual fundamentals of the game just left me. And I was thinking about that on 15. And I whiffed this four footer. Whiffed. Not even close. No, I mean, I just pushed it dead right. And I was like, oh my God. And it just like hit me. I was like, you can't, like, I've just got to commit to hitting good putts for three holes. And I was like, I, I, the cool thing though was I feel like I knew it in the moment. I was like, you all recognized right, what you did. That is what went wrong there. And I know it went wrong. I've got to do something about it. Made it like a seven footer for par on 16. And I literally was standing over it. And I was like, I got my line, just put a damn good stroke on it. Just, you know, just don't leave it short. Just hit it firm. Made it hard 17. And, yeah, I had that six-footer on 18. And it was a very similar putt. It was just a little left to righter as the one on 15. And so it was just like, I, you know, with the billboard, it was the exact same situation. Like, that was kind of the cool thing to me. It was, it was I mean, it was a foot and a half further. But it's essentially the same putt with the same thing right there. And it's like, did you learn your lesson or did you not? <laughs> And it, you know, fortunate enough, it went in and, but that wasn't over for me then. So then I walk into the thing and I'm T38, but there's 30 people left on the golf course. Oh, so I didn't even know this piece. You're having to kind of us open qualifier style. We'll talk about in a second that you're having to sweat it out. And I couldn't handle it. Like I was already as nervous as I'd been, you know, on that golf course that day. And then I made the putt and I was like overjoyed, did this little quick interview. And I was like, Oh shit, there's like 30 people left. And I was like, I looked at my agent and said, is there any reason I got to be here right now? He's like, no. I was like, there's no playoffs, none of that. And he's like, no, you're done. You just got to wait it out and see. And I put my phone in my backseat of my car, and I just started driving to Birmingham. From just, where? Where is this again? I forgot where the event was. Atlanta, Georgia. Okay, so not too far to drive. And you're just like, I can't do this right now? I started driving, and about two and a half hours in, I just heard it buzzing back there. And I pulled over on this random road, and – Pulled, got the phone out and saw that I was I made it. Wow! But and it was 
That's a yeah. weird like subconscious yeah. thing too. Cause like, I guess your phone could be buzzing with a bunch of pity texts, but I would say the odds of your phone blowing up like that, if you didn't make it would probably be a lot less likely. So when yeah. it started blowing up, you're like, I think this might be good. I, check it. I was like the timing checks, like everything checks. I was like, I got to look. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was pretty stressed. You know, that was the worst part is just no control over the phone. So that's winter of 2022. You realize you get eight guaranteed starts in the Corn Ferry Tour. How do you prep for what you did for those guaranteed eight starts? Because the thing that is hilarious to me about this whole PGA Tour and how badly the minor league setup is, I think, in general, in terms of just not giving you guys enough money to live and just how, like, rags to riches it is once you get on the PGA Tour. It's like, hey, congrats on your eight Corn Ferry Tour starts. Have fun in Bahamas. Chile, Panama, Colombia, those are real cheap flights. And, uh, you know, be safe when you get there. Like, how do you do prep for what was coming on the Corn Ferry Tour? Which, to that point, and I mean, you're still in it, but, like, is the biggest opportunity of your professional life, and you're on the cusp of the cusp. It's about as close as you can get without getting there. How did you prep for that mentally and physically? What did you do leading up? I took a decent bit of time off, which I probably wouldn't have done hindsight, but I was pretty tired from the year. Like, Q School took a lot out of me you know, just backed up with Canada. And I, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't been accustomed to the amount of golf, you know, that was one thing that pro golf always, they say gets you is you're not used to playing that quantity. So I was pretty tired at the end of the year. So I took a decent bit of time off and then got ready about a month leading into it. But like you said, the hardest part of those events was the travel. And I did not really know quite what I was getting into with that. I mean, I did fine, you know, it wasn't bad, but I would do a lot of things over differently traveling to different places and really a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, there's, that's where true, like the veterans out here, they really know what to do. Like in regards to, okay, don't stay at this hotel in this week. Yeah. They say at the host hotel, but why is it the host hotel? I don't know, but don't stay there. Stay right here. You can walk to work every day, go play golf and walk home. Super easy. Otherwise you're taking a 30 minute shuttle. It's like, you know, little weird things like that. And yeah, I mean, it was just, those are tough. I mean, traveling, you know, it's the Corn Ferry Tour, but it feels like you're playing the Latin Tour at the start of yeah. a bit. And then coming back to America was huge for me. I really felt a lot more comfortable here. What was like the craziest thing you just endured life-wise going through those Central American countries? Like, obviously, I don't think you needed a ton of reminders that you're not an American anymore, but was that, did you have a moment where you're like, what in God's name, like, what am I doing here? I haven't been in American soil in quite a while. Like, what, what's going on? Did you have a moment like that? Yeah, I mean, it was weird because Chile was the last event and it was like sectioned off. Like, we did Savannah before we did Chile. Right, which makes no that sense to me. Was, that, that one was odd, just how far Chile was away from the world. And fun fact for the listeners, Chile is is east of Atlanta. Okay. Which I just thought that was wild. I never would have ever thought that the west coast of South America was east of Atlanta. But that was kind of cool. I would have never guessed that either. No, I, that was weird. But, but I would just say like Bogota week, like the hardest thing for me is like, I mean, you know this, like I'm, I like talking to people, you know, like and whatever and just like in those countries like there's just a language barrier yeah 100 percent. and like i just don't I, I don't know i had a buddy that spoke spanish and that was super helpful but just like feeling like you're like a you know <laughs> i just did, i didn't do great with the whole travel i just felt like i went golf course hotel golf course hotel golf course hotel golf course hotel and that to me 
is the biggest mistake in pro golf. Like if you just do that, like on repeat and you, or even if you're in your hotel, like bring your Xbox, like you've got to have something to do other than that. And just, I didn't do a good job those first six weeks of getting my mind off of it. Cause I didn't no. feel when you say that, like, I know you mentioned, like, bring your Xbox, just have something to do than sit in your hotel. It really is kind of a lonely existence in a lot of ways. And I think that's part of the things that people don't always consider in professional golf. But particularly when you're in non-English speaking countries and things like that, like you mentioned, bring your Xbox or whatever. Like, were you, are you like to add on to that? Are you talking about like maybe go see something, maybe plan something if you have a morning tea time? Yeah, go to just dinner. Do, just do something. Down the road. Yeah, and just go sit outside and go have a dinner. Yeah, you might not be able to speak English, but who gives a shit? You know, it's like, yeah. for me, I was just so insular those weeks. I was like, I'm just going to door dash to the door. You know, they still do that down there. And I was like, and I'll just call it quits for the day. And I just did that for like six weeks or five weeks in a row, essentially. And then you're just taking a shuttle ride in the morning, golf course, shuttle ride home, food, sleep, repeat. And it's like, you know, that's when golf, like, I, or for me personally, some guys that works for them, but for me personally, that kind of beat me down. So in the States, we made a rule, like try to go to as many baseball, try to go do something, at least one event, whether it's just go see a museum, do something just like once or twice a week, just to get your head off of it. Like we went fly fishing and one of the days in South Carolina, we just skipped a day. It just went fly fishing. And, you know, whether that was the best move or not for golf, that's debatable, but like, I feel like it helped, you know, it's nice to just do different stuff throughout the week because your energy is the most important asset you've got out there. And I imagine like college, you would have never thought about like, Hey, actually fly fishing in the midst of this seven week stretch is actually something important to do. Cause like, you just got to yeah. get your mind off stuff like that. So your caddy, the, the thing that's always interesting to me is like, so you sign with an agency, obviously you're going to get a real caddy, but a lot of those guys, particularly like the lower level ones that probably aren't really prepared to have any success to do it. And are just kind of, I won't say happy to be there, but just like, we'll just kind of see where this happens. seems like a lot of them will get a buddy to caddy for them or something like that. Obviously you got set up with a caddy. I'm sure you'll have a great relationship. I'm sure. I mean, obviously with the way you've played the last few weeks, but like on the road, do you hang out with your caddy a lot? I mean, like, for example, Buckley's caddy is an awesome dude. His name's Brian Mahoney, but he's also older. So I imagine when they were still getting to know each other, it wasn't like, hey, let's go hang out all the time. I don't know what their relationship was. But like you mentioned, just kind of being isolated in those Central American countries. Did you hang with the caddy at all? What is that kind of like? Yeah, I mean, those weeks, like I said, it was the first couple of weeks with him. Like I, I just met him. I met we him. don't know each other. I met him in the Bahamas. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I never met him. Uh, his name's Johnny. Um. But yeah, so those first couple of weeks, I wouldn't say so, but now I would, you know, I yeah. love them. Johnny and me, like we hang out off the golf course. I've actually really enjoyed hanging out with the caddies because they're the last people that are going to be talking about golf after the round. They're going to be telling some hilarious stories or doing something fun. I mean, they're, they're just fun people. So I've really, yeah, they really are just salt to the earth people. Like, I don't know if, if you get around a group of caddies, the odds, if you having a bad time, I would say slim to none. It's impossible. Yeah. And so, I mean, I've really enjoyed hanging out with them. Um, th that's obviously one of the most important things on the bag is getting along. Cause I mean, you spend more time with them than your spouse. If you're out there, I mean, you better get along with them. You better have something to talk about. And me and Johnny's just have gotten along great. Like, I feel like he counters me well on the golf course. Like he, when, you know, I get too aggressive and he like, and so he'll step me off or, you know, Hey, this is you being a little irrational right now. Like, why don't we not do this? Um, 
and that's just been developed through time. And I just feel like that's our, you know, your friendship, you know? And so I think that's super important in a caddy. So I've been really excited with him. So you get the eight guaranteed starts, uh, four of them right off the bat are not in America. Then you kind of come back to Georgia and go to Chile. And again, not to like exercise some demons here, but you go 65, a T six or 65th cut, cut, cut T 64, T 54, cut, cut all the way up to that last one, the Lecom some close classic that kind of gets to kind of the, what I think to this point is kind of like the peak of the arc of what you have going on, because that whole thing was absolutely insane. I wish I still lived in Texas. I used to live across the street from that uh, Texas Rangers course. I think I gave you some great advice to just avoid those apartments. Um, yeah, that I lived in. Like 20 police cars in them throughout the week. Yeah. I was like, oh, that was great. I'm sure. After I told you that you looked at those, it was like, why God's day would I ever go in there? So, good Intel. Yeah, exactly. Just oh, stuff you can't get elsewhere. You should start paying me for this Intel. No, but so you didn't play very well for that piece of the year. No. The Lacom Sun Coast Classic, oddly enough, the event that Buckley won, which is kind of what I knew, like what the golf course was, kind of how that went. You shoot 69-69, I guess it is on paper. This gets to the whole semi-famous cart shuttle story. This is your last guaranteed start as a Corn Ferry Tour member. You hadn't played very well. I want to say you fluctuated between about 145th to 150th or so in points to that yeah. point. You knew you had to have a big week that week. 100%. You play okay the first two days, right? You're going to make the cut by, I think, what you had, like a stroke of wiggle room, maybe? I made it on the number, yeah. Oh, really? Okay, so I didn't even know it was on the number. Shot six under, and that ended up being the cut. Which is absolutely nuts. I mean, that just speaks to these corn fairy events. It's like you shoot 69-69, you're like, oh, I barely made the weekend. Like, congrats on being a pro golfer. Like, that's just a wild, like, God. And it's like that Monday Q God just says stay in school or whatever he says when he talks about how well people play and it, like, still doesn't add up. So yeah. you think you've made the cut. This is your last guaranteed start. Well, no, I did not think I made the cut. There's oh, no really? Did I ever think I made the cut. Okay, why? Because weren't you an afternoon tea time that day? I can't tell you what time I teed off, whether it was morning or afternoon. Um, okay. I believe it was morning. It had to have been morning. Yeah, because yeah. you would have known if it was afternoon. Maybe I had that backwards. Yeah, no, it was morning. Um, but, yeah, so – we obviously rode the shuttle from 18 to one as we were making the turn. And I knew I was like one outside the cut line making the turn. So I knew I had to go shoot. I had to make, I just shoot under part two or three to be safe on the back hard one. And then I doubled two and I was like, dad gummit, but there's birdie holes coming up. I'm still in this thing. And I birdied the next hole and like ripped off a fist bump. I was like, all right, we're back. We got birdie holes coming up. I need like two or three coming in. Hit my tee shot on a drivable par four right next to the green. Was in a perfect spot. And I was like, all right, I can go get this up and down. We just need two more. And there's a couple easy holes, two par fives. And the rules official drove up when we were walking up to the green and asked, how did y'all get from 18 to one? And, you know, we said, we took the shuttle ride, you know, what's up? And he's like, well, we're going to need to have a conversation. And, you know, he told us going down the fairway about the whole thing and that we were going to be assessed a two-shot penalty. And so I knew that it wasn't settled. Like, we obviously didn't agree in that fairway on that. Because uh, yeah, of, to say the least. our perspective. And so we were like – I remember looking at Toasty, who I was playing with, Alejandro Toasty. He was in, like, fourth. And we were both, like, kind of furious, obviously, but – 
we I looked at him, I was like, hey man, look, that was the shittiest thing I've ever seen in my life. I don't know what to make of that right now. But I do know one thing. I've got to make birdies coming in. And you pro- it won't hurt you either. So, like, can we make an agreement to just not talk about this for the rest of the round and just go make birdies? That's fascinating. So you actually talk to your playing partners about, like, we okay, how do we reconcile with this? We'll be mad about this. Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, like, again, like you said, stewing on it and talking about it wouldn't have done any good. But I think that's fascinating that you were, like, was it a twosome or a threesome? Threesome, but the other guy was – playing pretty poorly so he he wasn't he was halfway to the airport yeah um so you talk to him and you're like look let's just not think about this but that's almost impossible to do it it is but you know you just like i said i just didn't want to talk to him about it you know i just didn't want to you know i was just like if i talk about this anymore i'm I'm gonna lose my mind yeah and so i birdied the next hole and then Three putted the par five and three putted the par three. Just fear fired up and just ran them like seven feet by. And I was like, God, I got to calm down. Part eight, birdied nine coming in. But I knew it wasn't going to be enough if I didn't get the pen- – if I got the penalty. Right. And we went to the thing, tried our best, and to no avail. So that's the part that that was confusing me. And you and I had talked about this uh, when I ran into you in Oxford a little over a month ago. I thought that you would, for whatever reason, I thought you had taken a shuttle from 17 to 18. You were in an afternoon tea time and you find out what happens literally right after you step off the golf course thinking you made the cut by one. Not that that makes it like better or worse. In some ways, you have the most important six, seven hole stretch of your life coming up. And some asshole that's a rules official just walks up and is like, because you took this cart and this shuttle, you might actually just be adding two strokes to this. You already have a double on the card. Are you kidding me? Like, how can I not catch a break here? I just, I don't even really know how to like fully dive into how ridiculous of a ruling that is for people that maybe aren't as familiar with golf. Golf is beautiful of his game as it is, has some really dumb rules, but you're at a professional event. That's one step down from the PGA tour. The idea that there would just be a rogue shuttle. You guys, obviously you probably knew what the rule was as pro golfers. You can't take unauthorized transportation. So you would never just be like, I don't know why a member or someone would have a card on the course, but you never right. hop on some random person's yeah. shuttle or lawnmower or whatever and just like take me to the next tee. You knew like what you could and couldn't do, but this was presented to you as an official shuttle, correct? And it wasn't. The, y- y'all were done wrong by the tournament. I don't I don't put you in a position where you'd go full blast on the Lee Com Sun Close Classic or the Corn Ferry Tour, but this was very deceiving. You were not in a position where, like, I don't know if we should have done that. It was very pr- much presented as above board. Yeah, I mean, I after, you know, looking back on it for a while, it was a real shitty situation for a lot of different people, you know, and not just me. I mean, it was it did absolutely suck, but it sucked for them, too, because they knew, they understood the BS part about it, but they also understood – that they can't deviate from, you know, a, a said rule. Right. You know, and so it's a tricky spot. Do you do you screw somebody or do you screw the rules? You know, and so it's like, I think that's where the decision kind of, but I mean, there's so many different takes on it. I mean, it's not, it was terrible. I mean, it just was just a bad situation for all, all accounts involved. I mean, it was just, yeah, it was just terrible. Uh, I just couldn't really believe it, to be honest with you. I just, it was more of something that like, because it was presented so cleanly and like so routinely, like right where you walk off the green, there's a shuttle ride there. It says shuttle on the front. The guy's got the volunteer shirt on and he says, Hey guys, I'm here to take you whole one. Just because it was presented that way. It literally, it just never crossed my brain 
There's now, no way you could have ever known. That was just more of like just the absolute blindsided of it. You know, it was more like I didn't even really know what he was talking about at the beginning, which I guess was just the the real blow of it is just, you know, most rules and fractions in golf, you're like, I don't know if that was the right drop or not. I'll find out after the round or, you yeah. know, but this one was just so like, wait, what now? Like I'm, I, I'm confused. What's the problem. And it just, yeah, it, it, it was bad. Well, it was not, you weren't the only group, several groups got penalized for this, but how is it? And the last thing I'll ask on this, but how is it presented to you when they told you the thing? Because in your mind, you walk off 18 T you know, Every course is not set up equally, right? I mean, I remember when they had the one year they had the Corn Ferry Tour event in Oxford. That's the least walkable, friendly course known to man. And they would have shuttles to take a dude up literally from nine green to 10 T because you're walking up a hill and very many different things like that. But the fact that you got on one that said shuttle and the guy said, I'm here to take you to 18 to one. Like, how did they explain to you that that wasn't actual shuttle? I just think the explanation would be almost be more incredulous than the fact that it's happening. It's like, how did they present that to you? This was like the one, this was their angle. I mean, that they, I mean, you know, they, they had me on, I guess, is it was in the player advance sheet in the dining room. The holes that we had shuttles on. Okay. Shuttle from seven to eight. And there was a shuttle from the range to the first tee and a shuttle from the range from the, to the 10th tee. But there was not, it did not say on the player advance sheet that there was a thing from 18 to one. And so that was like the, that was the thing. That, like once they fronted it that way, I was like, I mean, you can get into that about where, where it was and all that all sure. you want. I have, you know, and I've talked to them about it. Um, but they ha- that's kind of where it, that's where it netted out, essentially. <laughs> that's well, how it's it presented to you. So you missed the cut by one in your last guaranteed start. When you figure out that that was the reason why you missed the cut, again, we'll get into the happier side of this here in just a second, I promise. But, like, how do you – like? The, I just love the mental side of this professional golf ground. How, how do you reconcile with that? Like, I mean, honestly, part of me would have wanted me to punch a wall. Part of me would have probably wanted to break down in tears. Another part of me would have just wanted to laugh at the ridiculousness of the situation. How did you reconcile, at least in that moment, thinking that the – trajectory of your career is now almost permanently altered. Thank God it didn't end up being because of the way you played the next two weeks. But like, how did you reconcile with that decision and why that happened? I think you summed it up pretty well there. You know, I would want to break a wall and then cross <laughs> and, and then laugh about it. I think you summed it up pretty nicely. I think that's pretty much the stages you got to go through if you're a human being. Right. I mean, it, yeah, it was just more like, I was more in shock. I think for the longest time. Yeah it all just hit me. I was like, okay, I just lost in my mind. I had lost my, I was signing up for the Monday qualifier next week. I was like, that was my opportunity. And it just like passed me in my brain. And to put it in perspective for the listeners, like for the lack of a better phrase, had that been the difference in you getting in the next week, you were screwed. I mean, don't get me wrong. You could have Monday qualified and gotten hot, but in terms of the long-term plan and the odds of you having success on the corn Ferry tour, that shit was all wiped away by that. Yeah. It was pretty bad. It was pretty. Yeah. You're right. What'd you do? Did you just get like shit face drunk? That would have been my reaction, but that's probably why you're a professional. Oh, athlete. What'd you do that night? I, fl- I flew home. I remember sitting in the Dallas airport. I had a couple drinks and I just remember staring at the runway, watching planes go by. I was like, <laughs> this just happened. And it's like, I, remember, I just remember thinking about, I think about this in the airports all the time. I saw a quote that was like, you know, someone's having their best day and someone's having their worst day. Like at all that time. guy. you just don't know who, you know, it's just a bunch of people. 
but I was like, I am that guy today. You know, I was like, I'm sitting over here. Like I, yeah, this is not, I mean, honestly too, someone probably had a worse day in that airport, just running odds on people. You know, that's the, sure. part. It's like, if we're really being honest, I probably did not have the worst day, but I was still drinking in an airport, you know, it wasn't that bad, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was pretty tough, but then it really helped. I'd signed up for the Monday and I, I really hadn't committed to that Monday in my brain. Huntsville. Yes. Cause I mean, that was the Monday I got home Friday night. I mean, I literally shook hands with my caddy and I was like, thank you for your help. I, it has been great getting to know you. Thinking that was it for a while. He, he almost got a new, another job. I mean, he literally Sunday oh, night. Whoa. Like he was like, dude, he's like, we were both on the same page. We didn't think I was getting in. And if you don't get it, like you said, like, I think that just tells the state of affairs. Like he, we're boys. And he was like, if you ever get back into an event, I'm caddying for you. He's like, but until then he's like, I got to find work. And I was like, dude, a hundred percent. Like I could, I, I, yeah, hundred percent. You knew, and you knew that. That's the kind of the arrangement. It's like oh, even yeah, if you're friends, it's like you can't prevent this guy from making a living. You don't know about getting a tournament. Yeah, that's his job. That's how he pays the bills. So it's like, yeah. So, and this is one of the craziest things that I almost like love and hate about this professional golf grind at the same time is. So Buckley told me one time that you guys have like an app or a login that you can get into to figure out like if you're in the tournament. I think the fact that if the players don't know whether they're in the tournament or not, your system may be a little screwed up. But hey, neither here nor there for today. How did you figure out, I guess actually a better way to ask it, how the hell did you actually get into Huntsville? And to set the scene a little bit for those of you out there listening, that was your last guaranteed start. From what I understand it is there was a reshuffle coming you were 150th or 148 at points at that point. And I'm following it pretty weekly. And I'm like, damn, this is it. I wanted to ask you, but my God, you probably talked about the shuttle 15 times. I was like, I'm just going to let this guy be for a bit. But I was like, how in God's name did you get into Huntsville? Take me through how you realized it. And do you have an actual explanation as to how the yeah. hell you got into Huntsville? So some people withdrew. That was a couple of them. But then okay. the main thing that really helped me was the Latins, like all the guys from Latin America, there was an exemption into the Mexico Open that they were given out. So like right, right, right. five of them played the Mexico Open, the PGA Tour event, at the same week. And that bumped enough people out to get me in. Were you shocked by that? 100%. I was packed up and ready to go to the Monday qualifier. I got in Sunday night at like 1030, I think, is when I found out that I was in. And so I had a tea time at one o'clock the next day. I'd paid for the Monday qualifier. Wow. And so I got in and I remember driving up to Huntsville and I was like, all right, like we have got to make something this week. Cause it, you know, if I don't, I, I wasn't, I knew for a fact I wasn't going to get in Kansas city, Knoxville or Raleigh, unless I got an exemption, which I ended up not getting. Right. So I so wouldn't have got, I mean, like, so at that point, you're driving or wherever you're doing to get to the Monday qualifier in Huntsville. I imagine at that point, I know you try to stay pretty balanced, but like that's kind of a low where it's like, look, I mean, Monday qualifiers are, are just complete horseshit crapshoot. You can play really well and not get in. You have to go super low to get in. But just like from the alternative standpoint, if you don't get into Huntsville, the Monday qualifier doesn't work out. Let's just be honest. The odds are not in anybody's favor. You're probably heading home wondering like, what in God's name is this next little stretch of months and years in my career going to look like? When did you actually figure out you were in and you did not have to tee off on that Monday? Sunday night at like 1030. Is that like a text? 
or I just, yeah, I got a text from my, my agent or something that was like, Hey man, you just moved in the field. A bunch of guys in the, just withdrew. And there's a bunch of guys that aren't the Mexico open. Like as the field gets released on like eight o'clock on Monday, but they like finalized it on the app. And I was like, Oh my God, I got in. And I called Johnny and he was like, Oh, thank God you called me. I almost took a job with another guy. <laughs> so when you do find out is that a situation where you're like i actually don't even really want to know let's just like if there's anyone that deserved a good piece of karma in the professional sports world at that week it was wilson fur did you ask like would you tell your agent like what do you mean i got in how or are you just like cool like we're just gonna go with this i more of that i was like oh what what a miracle i i because, I mean, I had been told the week before by the media people of the Corn Ferry, like, you know, you won't get shuffled back in if you miss this cut. You know, what's that kind of pressure looking like? So no one really thought I would get in. And then I ended up getting in. And it was just more of, I mean, the first couple of days, and I'll tell you this, the first couple of days were a little hazy. I was still furious. And then you see the, yeah. and they come in, they came and talked to me and I was upset. And they understood, but, you know, it was the whole thing. And I walked off my practice round Tuesday. I had an official come talk to me on the rain. I mean, on the course on Tuesday. And I was just fired up. And like, I, I was too fired. Like, I was like. Still I, I, addressing this situation? Why? Because, I mean, you know, it was a situation to be addressed, I guess. Yeah, fair um, enough. And I mean, it was, you know, I'm, I'm glad they came and said something. I, I don't, like I said, I don't hold it over them. But the. Is this uh, like an apologetic thing? Or is it just like, here's oh, why. Just, just, you know, getting dialogue, fair I enough. guess, you know. But I do remember I walked off the round Tuesday. My cousin, like, you want to go practice? Which, you know, my, sometimes I would. I was like, no, I'm getting the hell out of here. And I went home and I was like, I can't play golf like this. Like, I was furious. I was like, I'm not going to play any good. And my host family, for whatever reason, they lived on a hill. I just ran that thing. I was like, I'm going to run that thing until I can't think about anything. I'm not like the biggest, really? like, out like all the time, like anything crazy. But I just ran this son of a bitch, like, I don't know how many times. But decent bit. And until I was like, I can't think about this anymore. And for whatever reason, it was like a little cleansing. Like I was just so tired. I couldn't think about it. And it just kind of flushed it out. And so you get in that week. I uh, kind of a small world thing about three weeks later. Um, I work for a company that owns dental practices now, among other things. And we're merging two practices we own in Huntsville. And little did I find out the uh, woman who's the head dentist at one of the practices we're merging, they uh, own and built the ledges. So, oh, uh, yeah, I, her name's Katie Denny. I she got married. I forget her other name. Very sweet lady. But I actually was like an in. I was like, hey, my buddy played here a couple weeks ago. Actually, he's probably pretty grateful for this course. <laughs> Things have changed for him since then. And we just kind of had a nice laugh about that. It's probably about three weeks later. You get in. You got an interview. They put you kind of at center stage of, I would say, the Corn Ferry Tour social media buzz at that point because it was kind of your one extra opportunity I think you quoted Michael Jordan, which I was like, God damn it. I knew this kid was a baller from the time I met him. That was just a sick quote. Did you think of that before? Or was that just an in the moment thing as the Kevin Fry's light or whoever does that now is sticking a camera in your face? Yeah. I mean, that's what I'd kind of been. Yeah. I saw it earlier in the week and I just, I I just was trying to put better things in front of my face. Like that's more, like I was saying, like, oh, that week, I just didn't think about all the other BS and I was just, you know, very one focus. Like I knew, like it was, you know, it was make or break essentially. But what that did for me is it cut the bullshit. Right. And it was like, I just got very honed in on a couple of different things and just tried my damnedest. 
And so you get so you get into the tournament, you shoot 70 the first day, and then you shoot 71 in the or 60, excuse me, 61 in the second round. Quite a big difference between those two numbers. And it's a range shortened event, right? You only ended up playing three rounds. And I remember thinking, and I'll never forget, I was sitting in my office like that Friday as you just kept putting circles on the scorecard. And I was like, holy shit, this is happening. Let's do this. Like, come on, let's get 58 here. And I was like, okay, this is like a real possibility now. After that Thursday round, when you shoot 70, again, nothing to scoff at, particularly on that golf course, Corn Ferry Tour, but it is what it is. Where it's like, all right, well, I'm not making any huge headway here. The whole thing we've talked about this entire time is just not worrying about the future, not worrying about tomorrow. I imagine that you really had no other option because there wasn't actually a next week at that point. There wasn't actually a tomorrow. You had no idea what your next three days were ever going to look like. Did you feel more freed up in that Friday round at all? Take me through that 61, which, I mean, for all intents and purposes, I don't know every single round you played. It has to be one of the most significant rounds of pro golf you've played in your life to this point. It, it was. It was probably the most. I mean, and I mean, freed up would not be the term I would use. Fair <laughs> I mean, enough. Fair enough. That's, that's why I asked it as a question. Uh, like, uh, like yeah, no, I, I know where you're coming from, but um, yeah, I mean, I remember teeing off, so I, I guess even that first round, and the cut line was like two or three, like before I was teeing off, and I was, I remember like thinking about it a little bit, I was like, okay, I gotta go play well today, I gotta make this cut, and I hit my first tee shot left, and at the ledges, if you hit it left, it's dead, and I got a unbelievable break, like one for the ages this thing stayed up from going down the cliff and it was like on a decent lie in some tall grass and the ball was like above my feet and i was like first of all that's a penalty shot 85 90 percent of the time second of all i got a shot and this thing hooks like 20 yards land spins next to the hole to like three feet for birdie hell yeah and it you know i just i was like it just you know put a little jump in my step and then i started rattling them off um, and then, but the wildest part of the story is I get to six under through 10. This is my, this is one of my favorite rounds of golf for this reason. So okay. I get to six under through 10 and it end, it's getting dark because so what people don't realize, but I forget about that round was, is there was like rain, which is because of why I was shortened. So like we didn't tee off to like four thirty or something like that, like four real, real late. And you had the morning time on Thursday, if I remember correctly. Yes. So I was hitting it really nice. So I was like, I'm going to kind of walk over to 11T and hit that tee shot. feel like the number's good. Like, I feel like my swing's good. And it's like dicey dark. And I pulled this thing. And this pin's like three off the left. And this bunker's like eight feet deep. And I walk up there and I'm in the back, like, lip. And I'm like, shit, like, I'm in such a bad spot here. Like, this is terrible and he's like you you want to hit a 60 degree and i was like i'm gonna wait till tomorrow interesting i was just like i just don't feel this shot right now this is not gonna go well so i was like i'll just think about it for a day so i wore the, the horn blue but by the time you hit the shot right because you can finish the hole and do whatever so you had the option i had the option and i went there's no chipping green at <laughs> that week because it's like on the range so you can't do it so i didn't have any practice you know before the round and my first shot of the round is a short-sided bunker shot it's like dead nice way to ease into the morning 
and it's 6.30 in the morning. And I'm like, shit, man. But I came out there and the wind, so the last day it was really windy. It was like 25 miles an hour. But I showed up and it was dead into the wind. And I was like, all right, this wind's not going to help all day, but it's going to help right now. Right. I nipped it. Just perfect. And it went like 12 feet past and I made it. I had already written that off as a bogey in my head. And I drained it, went to the next hole, hit the fairway and hooped it from the fairway. Oh. And I was like, I was expecting to be five under going into hole 12. Instead, I'm eight under walking off hole 12. Quite the twist. And in that position, that's a life-changing difference as well. Yeah, it was just an unbelievable sequence that morning. And then birdied 14, birdied 16, and then hit my driver straight through the fairway on 17 behind a tree and had to chip out and made bogey. Um, and it made like a nice little eight-footer for par on 18. So I had a shot at 59, didn't get it, didn't get it done. But it was it was huge round. Just it was like a tail of two rounds almost. And of course, because nothing comes easy in your professional career at this point, you're in the mix now. You're in contention to win the golf tournament. You shoot a seventy in round three. In round, how did that actually play out? Round four got turned around. We knew round three was the final round. That's right. Yeah. So you shoot seventy. I imagine you weren't just like totally pleased with that round. But not what what I was thinking. Watching it was like okay. If he can get like T20, T15, this will help his reshuffle. He might be out a couple weeks, but he'll get back in it at the next one. But obviously, you finishing top 10, that automatically gets you in the next week. In the Corn Ferry Tour, it's like top 15 or top 12. So you know you're into Kansas City the next week, but I imagine you hadn't booked a flight yet. Like, did you just be like, all right, I guess we're going to Kansas City? Yeah, 100%. And we flew to Kansas. Or, so there was two weeks off after Huntsville. I forget about that. There was two weeks off. After That's right. You had a break. And so, I, yeah, I, it wasn't week to week. I forgot about that. Um, so, yeah, I had some time to practice. And like I said, I just started hitting it the way I wanted to. I felt like in Sarasota. I thought I, – I, I mean, I shot six under. It wasn't that bad of golf. So I felt like I was playing pretty well. And then it, you know, it carried on to Huntsville. I was, so I was feeling good and I had two weeks of break to kind of refine what I was doing. And I was, you know, like I said, I was feeling good going into Kansas city. And you go to Kansas city and you damn near win the golf tournament. Um, I thought with about four holes left, I was like, Holy shit, he's about to actually do this. What did you learn from that experience? Because this is now this whole balance of like, you had the T seven that pretty much saved kind of the immediate trajectory of your career. You probably knew going into the weekend, unless this is disastrous, I'm probably good for the next week. And we'll just kind of see how this goes. You finish T2, you don't win the tournament. But that for, to me, from, from where I've gauged it, that's one of the first times in your professional life that you've been in the mix to win a pro golf tournament that can change your life in a day. What did you learn with that experience? Take me through that Sunday in Kansas City. Yeah, I mean, very similar to the stuff I've talked to you about is just not getting wrapped up in the hoopla, and I'll show you where I did. Um, I thought I did a pretty solid job, you know, the night before and all that. And throughout the round, I thought I did a solid job. At the end, started got it got in crunch time. And I was like one, I was one back and he birdied 16. And I was pissed because I'd hit it right down the middle of the fairway into this little sliver of rough. And so I didn't have the chance to hit a wedge close. I didn't. And so I was like, damn, like I thought I played that hole pretty well. And he just gained one on me. And now I'm two back with two to play. 
and I hit a great iron shot in the 17. And all I was thinking about was making this putt. Well, that is not what I was thinking for the the last 68 hole or 69. Yeah. Hole. But I did this because I was too back. And what did I do? I blew it four feet by and I 360 lift out the four footer. Oh, and I was like, ah, oh, it doesn't fucking matter. Like I'm still in second, you know, like whatever. But I was furious. But I was like, I kind of checked out after I'd missed that first one because in my brain I had lost. Right. And then he snap hooked it out of bounds on 18. This being Grayson Murray, by the way, everyone's favorite former tour player. Um, actually a pretty nice guy. I was I was really shy. I, I kind of enjoyed playing with him. Um, him and Kip, the Henley, the caddy on Twitter, they go well together. They that was he was looping for him that week. Yeah, he was. I find yeah. Grayson Murray very entertaining. So you're actually playing with him. I forgot you were the final group. Mm-hmm. And so I hit it right at the edge of this bunker, and it's a reachable par five. And I was like, please don't go in the bunker. Just please don't go in the bunker. And it did. So I couldn't <laughs> go green. And I was like right up in the lip, and I had to lay up. And I laid up, and I had. 124. Meanwhile, he's like, he chipped it out of the rough. It didn't get out of the rough. Then he chips it into the fairway. He's got like 240 and he hits it right of the green. So I'm like, he is well on his way to at least a double. I was like, if I make birdie, I might win this tournament. Like outright and or a playoff. And I hit this wedge from 124 that never left it. And it landed like a foot from the hole and the place went nuts for like a second and then it just went quiet what happened and it had skipped into the fringe and i had like 15 feet coming from the fringe and i missed that putt low and he had like seven feet for double and i thought he left it short and it just dribbled in the front and he won so i mean it was a it was honestly a a heart double it was it was, I mean, he, he grinded his all the way in. So, I mean, it props to him, but yeah, it was close. But like I said, that putt on 17 was the reason that I didn't get it done. And it was just, like I said, getting caught up in the hoopla uh, and the hoopla. All it does is it just changes the way you would do it. If that wasn't there. And it's simple, but it's not easy, you know, it, it, but. Yeah, absolutely. And like that kind of embodies like the whole mindset of this pro golf thing. And so at that point, you don't win the golf tournament. I imagine there's just a natural come down of like, hey, I'm in this thing to the last two holes. It didn't happen for me. I didn't get it done. But then like, again, if I were in this position, which would be a total miracle on many levels, um, I would be sitting there thinking it's like, damn, this is disappointing. But I have absolutely changed where i'm at from fucking 12 days ago at this point how did you reconcile that how did you feel leaving huntsville knowing that because at that point i'm not the greatest mathematician i was like this kid's good for the rest of the year you actually jumped inside i believe at that point inside the top 30 your whole worldview your whole professional trajectory your whole life is different 14 days or 17 days or whatever the hell it was after getting a cart ruling that thinks like, like I'm done here. How did you reconcile everything that took place that week, that night? Were you happy? Were you sad? Were you in the middle? What happened? Like, how did you feel? I mean, a little bit of everything. I mean, I I was more excited. I mean, I was more pleased with the way that I played than I was disappointed. Um, I was, like I said, that one moment on 17, I was just disappointed that I kind of let myself 
slip a little bit, you know, just thinking wise, but you know, I feel like I, I did a lot of good things there. Um, and I, you know, I felt like I, you know, it wasn't as bad as I thought, you know, I, I thought I handled it fine. So, I mean, that was good. And I, so I was pleased with that, but biggest thing I was excited for was I was in the next week. Yeah, absolutely. Because I was like, I mean, even if, you know, even with all that being said, I still had to top 25 in Knoxville to get to Raleigh. I actually didn't know that. I would have assumed you were pretty good for Raleigh and you I finished T23. That week I had to get top 25 to get into Raleigh. And then after Raleigh was the next reshuffle and then I shuffled back in. Oh, and you finished T23, just leaving yourself tons of margins for error. So like this actually continued for another week. That's crazy. So you get into Raleigh. Obviously, at that point, you got to be feeling pretty good. It's like, all right, I'm good for the rest of the year. Let's actually make this happen. And as we kind of wrap up this whole thing, that's what's kind of been very fascinating about the arc of your career, where it's like three, five, seven weeks ago. It's like, I don't know if this is going to happen this year for you to like, now you're on the cusp of it. You're right around that top 30 standpoint. Like, how have you kind of been able to reconcile the last like seven weeks of your life? Because you could have been in a vastly different place than you are now you're not there yet to the finish line but you're damn close like how do you kind of these last seven eight weeks on the corn ferry tour how do you kind of take a mindset into that like just what are you thinking these last seven eight weeks yeah i mean most of it for me is really just like i was saying earlier just really taking note of the mistakes that i had made whether it be from the six weeks of travel in a row or you know, from the first eight weeks or just all that and just applying it going forward. I mean, I feel like from a golf swing, you know, all that stuff, like I'm not changing anything. Like I feel pretty comfortable with where that kind of stuff at, but more, more of it, just like tightening up the little small things is more of it like mentally, physically, you know, all that different stuff, just doing that and learning from the mistakes that I've kind of made, you know, going forward. And I think we've got a good plan together to where, you know, I'm just going to run that for the rest of the year and just do my damnedest. You know, I think if I show up that each week kind of just doing those things, I think I got a good shot at it. So one of the things that when we talked, when I ran into you in Oxford uh, in May or whenever that was graduation weekend was that I didn't know the corn Ferry tour finals were gone. You know, I thought it was like, okay, they gave them five more tour cards for the regular season. That's awesome. And then it was like, I wonder how the finals work. Finals are gone. You're coming into professional golf at a very interesting time as the entire ecosystem is being shaken up by the Saudis, which we've uh, well covered on this podcast and probably a conversation for another day. But like, I guess I'll ask it in this form. I don't actually know the answer to this. Just say, and I think you'll end up doing top 30. I think we're going to talk about you being a PGA Tour winner you from now. You know where I stand. But like, if you don't do top 30, it used to be, if I'm not mistaken, if you were 26 through 75 on the Corn Ferry Tour and you made the finals, you had Corn Ferry Tour status next year. Is that true? What else yeah. are kind of like the subliminal margins you're going for other than getting your PGA Tour card? Like, will you have status next year? What does that actually look like for you? Yeah, so top 75 still retains their card. 85 okay. down gets a uh, – or gets like the first four. It's something weird. I don't know it perfectly. Um, but I do know 75 is like you, you retain your card. So 31 to 75. But the weird thing is, is now final stage Q school gives out a card, five cards. So if you don't get your card through that, might as well go to Q school, right? Right. And so I guess that that's a weird one, but it's like if you finish top five at final stage Q school, you would go to the PJ tour. 
I was about to say that that, that would be the important clarification. That's, That's a PGA tour card. card. That is not getting on the Gordon Ferry tour. And then I, 85 to whatever. I think it's some, I, like I said, it's gotten so tricky nowadays, but I think it's like 60 to 85 has to go to second stage of Q school if they want to play in final stage. Now that might mean they still retain the status that they have, but they got to go get through second stage, which is messed up because then you're playing a second stage site against somebody with corn fairy card guaranteed. That's never happened in the history of ever. That doesn't make any sense to be never completely happened. honest, but it will this. So it's just a weird deal, but. Yeah, I mean, it's just, like I said, the five cards at Final Stage Q School and then the 30 given. And I think the simplest way to do it is the 30 given. And you're at 41st with the handful of events left. Obviously, the goal is to get inside that top 30. But I guess the best way to ask this is just how much more comfortable do you feel about your immediate future than you did six weeks ago or when you walked off that green at in Tampa? Like, how much of a different mindset is that for you? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely different. I mean, it definitely is. But what you learned through it is that you probably should have had a similar mindset to what you had those weeks because it was kind of forced on you probably the whole time, you know. And so, you know, I, I definitely feel much better about my situation now, but I do think it was a net positive, you know. Yeah. For me, you know, it, it's hard to say in the moment. I would never have told you that, but I do think – because all that happened, I do feel like I'm in a much better spot to do this because I do, I felt it all, you know, over the last, I feel like I've lived two, you know, careers in a, in a season, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I said, I definitely feel much better about my stake in this whole thing, you know, now that I'm in it and, you know, not worrying about, you know, rent for the, you know, coming future or, you know, for the soon future. Um, That's so a nice place to be. Have yeah, you ever doubted yourself? Golf came so easy for you for so long through junior and college, and you get humbled a bit going through pro golf, and it's not like you're some journeyman who's finally figuring it out at 28 years old or something like that. You're still very young. You're two years removed from college, but you've had a lot thrown at you in the last two years. Have you ever kind of doubted yourself at all, and how has that kind of been just from a, man, I used to be the man. Now I'm having to earn the right to be the man again. What's that been like for you? So it didn't happen as much in pro golf. It more happened my freshman year of college. Because uh, things went to shit for you there real quickly after probably yeah. never struggling at golf ever in your life. And to further answer your question, it happens all the time. You know, I mean, I'm sure it, like there's little brief moments where you're like, what the hell am I doing? I can't keep doing that, you know, briefly. Sure. But like for an extended period of time was caught freshman year of college and right before it. Now I almost quit playing. I mean, I was pretty close to it. I mean, I was really I mean, yeah, for a little while there. I mean, it was eight months straight of just hitting it dead right, like 100 yards, and it was not – it didn't feel like it was getting any better. I was like, I'm not having any fun doing this, and it sure seems like all my friends in college are having a great time. And this is 18-, 19-year-old you at Alabama, to be clear. Yeah, and I, I mean, I remember – what the fuck? Oh, it's my pen. I was confused. Um, But the – yeah, I mean, I was it was tough. I mean, I was shooting eighty in qualifying, like a heart eighty too, like getting up and down, making putts. Like, when was the last time you shot eighty before that happened too? Yeah, I mean, it's been a minute, but I mean, for real, I mean, it was it, it was a long time of that, and I remember seeing some stuff signs in the spring. I mean, it was more that winter. I just saw a different coach, and I was like, this is this is it. If this fixes great, if not, I'm just going to go do the fraternity thing. Cause that looks a lot more fun than this shit. 
And like I said, I kind of pieced it back together. And by the time spring had rolled around, I was playing really good golf. And back to that, that my short game got really good during that time period because I was hitting it so bad that when it did come around, the game was there. Fair enough. So I, yeah, the it, last it, thing, the story I want you to tell is you're a very polite, outgoing kid. I've never met a single person that ever had a bad word to say about you. You're a total pleasure to talk to at all times. If there's anyone that would have a gripe with volunteer officials at tournaments, I'm going to say it's you. And it's not just the shuttle thing. It takes me back to, I re reread the story we did in 2021 about you qualifying for the U.S. Open. And you had a guy come up to you after you walked off the 18 green or like, congrats, son, you're in the U.S. Open. And that was just actually not the case yet at all. Like, if there's anyone that just can have a war on the volunteers who were doing their damnedest, it's probably you. I don't even know where to start with that. The U.S. Open story is so wild to me. I'll just preface it, and you can take it any which way you want to. You're fresh out of school. You were, I believe, trying to get into that weird event that they supplemented with the RBC Canadian Open because we were still dealing with COVID at like Congaree or whatever in South Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't get in. You weren't even in South Carolina that week for the U.S. Open qualifier. Your agent was like, let me make a couple calls. You show up at the golf course at some ungodly hour. As we both know, not really an alternate thing at U.S. Open qualifiers. Not a lot of dudes are just like, screw it, I'm done with this. I think you probably benefited from being the one close to where the PGA Tour event that was that week, where if a couple guys actually had the ability to be like, not doing it, it would happen. You get in, you're carrying your own bag for the six holes. Take me through the rest of it, because this is an absolutely bonker story. I'm sure a lot of people that are listening that have read it, but you go from carrying your own bag the first six holes at a qualifier that you don't get into to your professional debut being at Torrey Ponds in the U.S. Open. How in God's name did that happen? Yeah, so I – my agent pretty much told me to just show up because I was an alternate, but I wasn't the first alternate. And he was like, I mean, maybe, maybe it works. He's like, but what's the worst case? And like I said, showed up and they were like, okay, we've already got an alternate on site. Then I found out at like seven 15 that he was in. And I was like, well, does that mean I'm next on the list? And there I am. Just go sit down. <laughs> and then like, they made some calls and then sure enough, like an hour and an hour later, probably Pat and Kazire withdrew. And they were like, well, no one else can come. You're in. And I ran to the range, had 30 minutes to tee off, shipped it down the first fairway. And I was like three under through eight. It was more whole. It was the whole front nine I carried. Um, I was three under through eight. It was a pretty difficult golf course. So I was like, all right, I'm in this thing. I need a caddy. And there was an old guy kind of walking with us. And I was like, hey, do you know anybody who could caddy? He's like, I can make it work. He showed up on 10. Um. With a bunch of food for you, right? You basically told him, he was like, go find me some food and we'll regroup later. Yeah, yeah. And so he came back with that, and then he looped for the front nine. We wrap right around to that same nine again. And we get to, like, the 14th hole. It's a really hard tee shot, and I hit the fairway. And we were walking down, he goes, so where do you go next? <laughs> this is my favorite story out of all this. <laughs> where's the next spot at? <laughs> what, what are you talking about? He's like, where's the next qualifier? I was like, this is it. He goes, we're playing for the effing U.S. Open right now. And I was like, yes, sir. He goes, holy shit. <laughs> that is so do you you told me at the time, and I reread this this morning, but you were like, to the guy's credit, he was cool as a cucumber. He told you, you where to hit it because you'd never seen the golf course before. He wasn't like a chatterbox that got in your way. 
you're under probably at that time. Really, you don't have like a ton of like real, real pressure to like get stuff done at that point because you're fresh out of school. But it's like, hey, I'm right on the cusp of making the U.S. Open here. I imagine in that moment having a guy that you found out of the crowd who got recruited to the course like seven holes in just being like, so what's next? Like, what's the next qualifier? And you're like, bro, this is for the U.S. Open. That had to just make you laugh. And I keep um, using the term free yourself up. That had to have made you feel a little bit looser at that point. Where yeah. It's like, this guy carrying my bag has no clue what's at stake here. But he knew after that for the last 13 holes. But he did a great job. I mean, he hung tough going down the stretch. He was getting good numbers. I mean, he was a caddy. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He'd caddy like some I mean, local course up there. Like, just, bit, you find didn't awesome know the rule. Yeah, it's just a qualifier there, and he just showed up. I don't even – yeah, he just lived down the road. So you get in. Did you feel indebted to him? I know – I think you told me you got him a couple beers, and we we're like, we're just celebrating here for the next few minutes. Yeah, for sure. Gave him some extra for sure. But, no, I was like, uh, you know, I don't know if I'm going to take you out to Tory or not, but thank you for all the help today. And we both had a blast. I think it was a good time for the both of us. Have you talked to him at all since? No, I hadn't. I was actually up there and thought about calling him, but ended up having to just drive through. But I was going to go play some golf with him. Do you know but how yeah. many times that guy's told us that story at the bar? You were probably a local legend there. <laughs> probably a few times. Pro debut at Tory. It's hard to beat that. So as we wrap up here on the much more serious note, I would call this the peak of the podcast. Your brother's a musician. And I feel like as you kind of get more and more notoriety in golf, I see these golf writers pick up and it's like, hey, this kid's brother's actually a musician. I'm like, yeah, we've heard about this down here in the SIP for a while. What's it like being a pro athlete on the cusp of a PJ Tour card? And it's like, God damn it, how do I compete with my brother? I mean, I think that's the coolest thing about him being a musician is we don't compete. You know, <laughs> exactly. It's a great way to put it. You know, there's no competition there. It's just like I find what he does to be fascinating especially as he's explained it to me more how he thinks about it like yeah, i've just found it to be fascinating i just he's really good at what he does and he's gotten really good at what he does with no help i mean you people at home know that my favorite quote from the whole music thing ever was he posted some song and someone commented with like a i mean it was a reputable account it wasn't a bot it was like there's no way this kid can blow up that fast in music his dad must be in the music industry I was like, well, Bill Furr is not in the music industry last I checked. <laughs> yeah, I was like, damn, maybe he is like going to take off because like, he's not. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's been really cool. And so, yeah, I, I'm a groupie for sure. I try to go to as many concerts as I can. Um, I enjoy going. And yeah, we do it. We, it's, we think similarly, but we do different things. So it's been really cool to kind of see him navigate it and keep getting better at it. I mean, I remember a couple of times through the years, I was like, I want to text you to get Prentice on the pod. Luckily, we're friends and you're nice to me. So I was like, actually, Prentice is a harder book. Well, who am I going to have to go through these days? And also having a 15-year-old on the pod, like, what does that actually look like? Am I allowed to do that? Like, what are the rules here? But he's a very talented kid. That day he blew up, I'll never forget that Barstool thing, got his account. And my girlfriend at the time, now fiance, was like, have you seen this? And I was like, hold on, I know that kid. And I was like, that's Prentice Fur. And she was like, what are you talking about? I was like, I know that kid like decently well. Like, I'm pretty sure that's who that is. And it just made me laugh. And to see where his career has gone since has been awesome. But dude, this has been amazing. I really appreciate the time. Um, we are obviously rooting for you. Please go get it done. And uh, maybe the next time we'll do this podcast, we're talking about the second tour event you won in three weeks. Let's do it. I can't wait.
All right, that will do it for today's show. I really enjoyed that. It was enjo- it was it was very fun catching up with an old pal. Thanks, Wilson, for his time. I know I'll be rooting for him over the next six, seven weeks. And, hey, hopefully we'll have him back on when he is a full-fledged PGA Tour member. I think he's going to get it done. But I enjoyed that conversation. I thought it gave a great look inside the ropes on the uh, Corn Ferry Tour and the lower levels of professional golf. So hope you enjoyed that as well. We'll be back at it with a couple more episodes this week and probably toward the end of the week, turn the page toward football season. That's right. It'll be here before you know it. Got SEC Media Days next week. So uh, stay tuned for a couple other shows. Then we'll – uh kind of get into football season mode after that. Thanks as always for listening. Y'all have a great start to your week.